Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name is Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I'm joined by my, my friend Reese, the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar. And today we're going to talk about a Chiefs Jags preview um, for the AFC playoffs. We are very excited for this second round. Reese, how happy are you that we didn't play in that first round? I mean, oh my gosh, with the games that we've seen this weekend. Yeah, after after what we saw this weekend, I'm glad we didn't play in the first round because we have been playing some kind of sloppy enough football that I feel like one of those games could have caught us sleeping, to be no, honest. Totally. Yeah, no, we, we we totally could have been who, uh, like, Bill's defense or Bengals defense or, yeah, no, Bengals. I mean, we could have, like, been one of those defenses, right, that was, like, almost down, had to come back and... Uh-uh. No, thank you. No, thank you. So we are very thankful as Kansas City Chiefs fans to take this week off. It also gives us time to talk about these other games. So we're really excited about this podcast. For those of you that may be joining us, um, I know that we 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 get an uptick during the NFL playoffs. Um, and this is your first time joining us. Just to let you know, we're we're a Kansas City Chiefs podcast, mainly Kansas City Chiefs podcast. We do talk about other sports, um, but Another reason why this podcast stands out is that we also talk about Kansas City craft beer and craft beer around America. Uh, Reese and I used to work in the beer industry, and I've done many interviews with beer professionals as well as some 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 sports athletes. So please check out. Um, actually, Reese, how can people find our podcast about the Kansas City Chiefs and Kansas City craft beer? You know, if you like what you're hearing here, you want to learn more, go on Instagram for Fountain City SM. If you like dank memes and previews of every week's episode, if you really like what you hear and you want to get on board sponsoring this podcast, well, for the price of one cup of coffee a month, that's right, $2 a month, you can support us on patreon.com backslash FCSM. You'll get outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews, including... Speedy and Angry, our 10-part in-depth deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise. Just today, I posted the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff. Alex Nikolenko and I reviewed that, and it is now live on Patreon, meaning there is one more episode in the Fast franchise to record. That would be uh, Fast 9 or F9, whatever they called it. Uh, 10 will be coming out eventually, but that's not even in theaters yet. So. Wow. Head on over to patreon.com backslash FCSM. Check us out. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And and we have a ton of episodes out there. I mean, I don't know. We have to be at the 150 mark by now. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. We've been doing this for about three years, even uh, well, about three years publicly for almost two, if not a little bit more than two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so please go back to episodes. I know we do have our Chiefs and Jags episode during the season that you can go back and really look at what we thought about some breakdowns in the game and kind of give you a preview into what happens for this week. We are also in the top 30% of all podcasts on Spotify, which means that we are some of the most listened to sports podcasts or podcasts in general on Spotify, which is probably one of the best podcast platforms. So we're really proud of the work that we do. Like Reese said, please donate on Patreon. A lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff in the making as well. Um, and recently I just have fun, man. We, we, we've had a great time. Like I said, over 150 episodes. So even if we don't know what we're talking about, we definitely make it seem like we know what we're talking about. Uh, speaking about things, we at least know what we're talking about. Reese, what did you do? What did you do this week? Anything, anything fun for the pod? Well, I'll tell you today, uh, because we had the day off and a while the day off, I just watched, have you, have you seen American underdog, the Kurt Warner bio flick? No. Okay. So 
it's on Hulu right now, free to stream, which I'm super happy about because I just kind of assumed it'd be one of those films that I'm eventually going to be on a flight and it's going to be on the flight, you know, for like <laughs> free like, Wi-Fi movies. I might as well. It, this, it is on Southwest, by the way. <laughs> exactly. 1,000%. That's where I would have seen this film. However, it was on Hulu and I said, you know what? Screw it. I don't watch films during the day that often. I'm going to take a time, you know, some time and, and watch that today. So do you want to hear my assessment of the film, Armando? I took notes. Yeah, honestly, honestly, I may not watch it anyway, so, but go ahead. So here's the thing. I actually did tear up a few times in this film. Really? Oh, maybe I do have to watch it then. It's okay. I, I will, to preface it before you give your take, it just, it just doesn't look good in their advertising. I really don't think that, that they did a good job on the, like, judge a book by its cover type of thing. Like, it doesn't look like a good poster and it didn't look like a, like a good, um, a good preview. So Zachary Levi is a B to B plus actor who always gets stuck in B to B plus scripts. And I really think Checks that's out. kind of the case on this one. It's the same thing with like Shazam where, oh, this is good. It's like, okay, is this as good as any Marvel film? It's like, oh, heck no, but it's better than all the other DC films. So it's like, okay, yeah, it was okay. Uh, it, it was kind of the same song and dance with this film it was a, you know obviously a hollywood film time money put into it but the, the biggest names in here it's, it's zach levi it's anna pa- uh i can't i can never say your name right is it pakin Pakwin yeah, or pack i think it's packin I, well, I think it's that's three different ones why don't you comment on twitter everybody and tell us how to say anna Pakwin's name so it's it's those two and it's dennis quaid and you know Dennis well, Quaid's still kicking nice exactly Dennis Quaid's still kicking and you know what's funny is like the Baldwin they have is Adam Baldwin no oh, the so, other one so uh, exactly right so that's kind of this film in a nutshell that being said I teared up a few times because I do think they got the relationship between Kurt and Brenda Warner really well and that uh-huh. was kind of the central focal point. It wasn't just, you know, this is young quarterback who defeats the odds and makes Super Bowl. It was really a story about, you know, a guy who loved a woman and they both really supported each other and they had dreams and aspirations, but the other one always came first, which is really sweet. I also have a personal aspect to this because, you know, I, I went and watched you and I football when Kurt Warner was playing there. And he was bagging groceries. I, I don't remember seeing him at College Square. I would have been like five years old at that point. But like I used to go to the College Square Hy-Vee he bagged groceries at. Like wow. it's it's right there. So fun fact, when he shot that thing with Peyton Manning last year at Hy-Vee, that is not College Square Hy-Vee anymore. They moved literally right across the drive to where the Walmart connected to the mall used to be. So yeah. it technically is College Square Hy-Vee, but it's not the College Square Hy-Vee, and I will die on that grave. Yeah. Now that being said, Here's my notes on the film, Armando. Let's hear it. Here's my notes on the film. This film was a $100 move with a 10 cent finish, as you like to say. And I, I think this will nail it. So in the scenes where Kurt's playing in college, they have our correct 1990s uniforms, which are, I mean, that's kind of difficult to find. They had that. Right. It's correct. Costume designer shout out. Good job. Congratulations. Okay, here's the only problem. We play in a dome. And those scenes were obviously in some outside, like, <laughs> high school-looking football stadium. It wasn't even close. Oh, come on. Take the L. Now, what? Well, now, so here's the other thing, too. You could be saying, oh, well, maybe they had their home unis at an away game. It's like, no, 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 no. Because they have, like, 
scenes in this film where like Kurt's watching highlights of himself play. And the cool thing is they use actual footage of like 90s, you know, games. So you are watching oh, that. Cool. However, some of those highlights show they are playing in a dome. In a dome, oh no. Like you see the the white roof of the air inflated dome. So <laughs> a little sloppy right there. Some other sloppiness in there. They had some of our like of that era shirts and logos and stuff. However, there were also a lot of shots where people were wearing UNI apparel or like the ESPN screen had oh, no. the modern UNI logo on there. It was current. Uh, and, and I mean, I don't mean to be that guy, but it's like, yo, that logo got implemented in like 2003 and Kurt was there in like 96, <laughs> you know, so it's oh, no. not quite right. The other thing, too. So it's in Cedar Falls, Iowa, born and raised, obviously. They made Cedar Falls feel a little itty bitty small town, which I know CF is only like 38,000 people, but they made it feel like, you know, West Texas in a film with John Voight, you know, we're like, we're going to go down to the old diner and then go to the watering hole. (laughs) And I mean, again, CF is small. (laughs) CF is not like as small as they portrayed it in this film. Doesn't, doesn't the, the underdog movie know how hipster Reese is? How could Reese be from a town that's like, let, let's go to Waffle House. But for real, though. <laughs> but for real. So, yeah, that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. C- Cedar Falls is kind of like, have you been to, well, you've been to, you've been to like Overland Park, right? Yeah. It's not as big as Overland Park, but it has a very similar like feel to Overland Park. Yeah, in like terms Overland of, like, Park has like a Top Golf, X Fly, like all these like modern day things. Yeah, exactly. So problem number three or whatever it is. So here's another one. Going on with the UNI apparel and the detail work, devil's in the details. I ain't never seen an Iowa license plate that looked like the ones they had on all of the cars, dude. I mean, I know what our license plates look like back through. I think it's like the late 80s. Nothing that looks anything like that. It looked like it was Montana almost. There were like mountains or something on there. Uh, so so then, they just like so they just recreate. Well, they didn't even recreate it. They just like made up a Iowa license plate thing. I think they must have made up an Iowa license plate, or otherwise it's like a oh, super no. limited edition one that nobody had when I was growing up. Uh, so then, kind of as I just told you about the College Square High V, that sure as heck was not the College Square High V, and this kind of ties in again to the size, scope, scale of Cedar Falls. They made it look like. I don't know, a Jackson, Mississippi, like, you know, going down to the Piggly Wiggly. This is like a five-aisle grocery store. No, it ain't that. And on top of that, best choice ain't the Hy-Vee store brand. It's not. It's not. So, like I said, I'm being really nitpicky, (laughs) but it's this kind of, you know, detail work that separates the Remember the Titans from the Longest Yards. Yeah. So, a few more things, and then I'll shut up. I promise. I love it. This is great. So kind of talking on the small town stuff. I don't know if this is true. This might be true. But Kurt's college teammate takes him to like a line dancing bar. And again, I ain't never seen a country <laughs> line dancing bar in Cedar Falls. Cedar Falls is not a small hit community. Cedar Falls, like in all honesty, if you've been to like Iowa City or Boulder or like Ames or those kind of things. It's just a small college town of like 38,000 people. You know, it's it's not right. super it country. It doesn't mean that it's like a cowboy bar, right? Yeah, it's very suburban. 
So that's one thing. I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, he obviously made his fame when uh, not winning the Arena Bowl, but playing in the Arena Bowl and like lighting up arena football and all that stuff. But a big part of Kurt's career path for the NFL, too, was he played football in NFL Europe for the Amsterdam Admirals. And they just completely gloss over that in this film. They don't even huh. there's there's nothing of him going to Amsterdam. How many years did he play? Do you know, I think maybe just one or two. But huh. it's like, you know, for a Brenda Kurt story dynamic and how yeah, hard living you know, in like, Europe or like having him live in Europe on his own. It, no, nothing about that. So you think they'd want to add that in there just to show like the tension and the stress of how hard it was because. I unless, think t- un- un- unless that was his like party years and they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> well, they, they actually do touch down on his party years. It's it's interesting. Uh, it really is. Uh, so what else we got here? Uh, oh, yeah, this is so funny. So I think Zach Levi actually does look like a pretty good Kurt Warner. And I'm happy that throughout the beginning of the film, people keep commenting on how handsome he is. Because I'm just going to put this down right here. Kurt Warner is a good looking dude. Oh, you know, yeah, and I mean, especially back when he was in like his college days. Good looking dude. Very clean yeah, cut. Takes care of himself. That being said, so you know the story of how Kurt Warner took the field for St. Louis because Trent Green, our boy, went down in the preseason? Right. Mm-hmm. They didn't even pretend to find a guy that looked like Trent Green. <laughs> <laughs> they probably oh wouldn't my even gosh. know what Trent Green looks like. <laughs> well, this looked like back in the NCAA football, like NCAA 14 days, when they like you couldn't use... Uh, Johnny Manziel. So you have like generic <laughs> like John Dowd. Yeah, John Dowd, generic white dude, same number, like close <laughs> enough ish. It's like, yeah, it's Trent Green, I guess. But the funny thing is, so this would have been a few years before this actually happened. The third string quarterback they had actually looked a heck of a lot like Ryan Fitzpatrick, which is funny because Ryan Fitzpatrick got his start with the Rams when Mark Bolzer stepped in for Kurt Warner oh. and they were down to their third stringer. So like they had a Ryan Fitzpatrick tree. ringer. Yeah. Crazy, right? Uh, last few <laughs> things. I'm being picky here. Rams didn't use the Ram logo they had on there until their rebrand in 2001. Oof. And last but not least, kind of going with the Unidome talk like I was talking about earlier. Uh, the head coach of Northern Iowa when Kurt Warner was there was Terry Allen. And there's a scene when Kurt's making his first NFL start, and, like all his friends are watching all that stuff. And they show Terry Allen in like the film room wearing his U and I gear going like, yo, go get him, Kurt. Uh-uh. Terry Allen was not still the coach at U and I when Kurt was out doing St. Louis Ram stuff. He was, I think the head coach at Kansas at that point still, but also the guy that got to play Terry Allen. I've met Terry Allen. Like when I was like six, you know, he, he was a cool dude. He like, let me sit on his lap and like he signed a, like a, a book for me. And he's like, hey, now you got to be a good sport when you go out there, sport, you know, and like always, you know, be nice to your teachers and brush your teeth, all this stuff. I'm like, you got it, Mr. Allen. So no, they, the Baldwin brother, they got to play Terry Allen. Not even close to Terry Allen. I think I think we should save this this analysis that you've done and make it into like a interview reel for actual like like send send this to Hollywood to tell them how <laughs> intricate and how detailed you are watching film going all the way to looking at a grocery store's bread's brand. I mean Reese has his freaking magnifying glass on watching watching like on on a US holiday. He's sitting on his couch, but dude has a magnifying glass to see what brand is on a bread. I mean, give 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 this man his flowers. Someone hire Reese to be a, a creative director, a creative uh, analyst on some of these films. That was that was pretty good. That was very impressive, Reese. Th- thank 10 you. Thank you. I'm just saying, if you're going to do a biopic on something I 
you know, vicariously lived through and experienced a lot of these places and things in that time period, you better know I'm keeping receipts. Totally. You better know. I mean, I I am not. I don't, I have zero experience. I have I have 1% percent experience in movies because I did a short film that is an opera, um, and we actually did have someone that was responsible for the accuracy of everything that we were doing. So from the McDonald's logos to um to like so i i played a um an an army soldier to like the buttons on my uniform um how my how my tie was made um there's also a scene where i where i am using an ironing board and even how i ironed the uniform was analyzed by this one person so like if my short you know, low budget film <laughs> that, that I did had someone on set to make sure that my buttons were the right way. Or like I was, I was using my lint roller the right way. Actually, there was one scene where they had to teach me not how to use a lint roller, but like how they would have used the lint roller or how they do use it in the army. Like Kurt Warner's movie should have had someone like that, at least looking at the brands of the bread at Hy-Vee. You know what I mean? Well, and, and like I said, the fact they got the uniforms correct for the 90s squad, you know, they got all those uniforms correct. It's like, tells me you can do it. You just don't cut corners throughout the film. Otherwise, those things stick out like a sore yeah. thumb because I know you can do it. Yeah, especially, yeah, movies like that have Quentin Tarantino, like, like, like the reason why Quentin Tarantino is one of the best film directors to ever live is because he is looking like not scene to scene, but he is looking frame to frame and looking at the entirety of the film to make sure it's accurate or also just making it look aesthetically pleasing and everything. So yeah, looks like, looks like Reese's uh, fast and furious analysis is bleeding into the general podcast, which is good because now you guys are getting to know, you know, Reese as a, as a film analyst. Yeah, and you know, very last thing I think I think this one popped into my head now that I thought of it. Uh, <laughs> there was a skyline shot at Des Moines when Kurt's playing in the Arena Bowl, and it's at Veterans Auditorium. Great job, Veterans Auditorium is right there. However, the shot they have, I think, has Wells Fargo Arena, which I don't think was built until like another seven or eight years down the line. So I think oh. they just used like an aerial shot of like modern Des Moines, and they're like, just "Welcome to 2002." <laughs> <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a film crisis in America, but we also have an NFL commentator crisis in America. So let's let's go right into it. Um, I'll kick it off with the most obvious. And then, Reese, I want you to have the platform again to really dive into this. So the most obvious egregious commentating was during the Jags Chargers game. At the very end of the game, the Jags come back from a 27-0 deficit. They kick the field goal, and then Al Michaels goes, oh, looks like they made the field goal. Oh, there's a flag on the play. Okay, flag goes to the other team. And that was it. And it like literally is one of the best comebacks in NFL history, I think. I mean, and not just in the playoffs, but just in general. We watched one of the, one of the greatest comebacks, and that was the commentating for that game. And, and that was consistent throughout, right, with him and Tony Dungy. Um, so Reese has kind of posed this to, to kick off the podcast. Um, so Reese, I'm gonna let you go. Reese, is there a commentating crisis in the NFL? Well, 
So this year's, let's start with Al Michaels, like you just alluded to there. I think the thing that sucks is that he announced his retirement from NBC last year before the season was over. And I think this year it's very painfully obvious that if Amazon hadn't built like three additions onto his house, he's totally done with commentating. Fair. And it's it, it just shows. It's, it showed on Thursday Night Football all year. It showed last night or a couple nights ago. And obviously, you know, Tony Dungy, you love him to death, smart guy. He's not the most. He's not cr- a commentator. He's not. He's a great analyst in the yeah, studio. He's, he's, he's good on NFL Live or was. But he's way too calm. And I think that played off on Al Michaels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we got the result we got. But as a year, it's been a very transitionatory commentary cycle with all of these foundational NFL stations losing their A-team or getting them shaken up. I mean, let's start with CBS right now. They're the only ones that stood pat throughout this entire fray. When you think about it, they still got Nance and Romo as their A-team. But I'm noticing this trolling through Twitter and going through the boards and stuff. Maybe you've noticed this as well. Do you think some of the shine is starting to come off Tony Romo and he's coming back down to earth? I think I think Romo, unfortunately, is starting to go more of the shock value route. So he's he's starting to get more into the not. I mean, he's not even close to Skip Bayless, but I think he knows that that type of jargon and that rhetoric sells. So I feel like he he kept grandstanding on. I forget was it was it Trevor Lawrence? No, uh, sorry, different Josh game. Allen. Josh Allen, Mr. yeah, January. He, I mean, like Josh Allen would make some like, and and Reese and I are going to get into each of these games. But one thing that we saw is that was not Josh Allen's best game. No. Like, yes, st- statistically he had a good game, but he he made some bad throws, and he was trying to play hero ball. And I forget what throw it was, but like Roma was like, that was the most perfect throw that someone could ever make in their NFL career. And I'm starting to see more of that where I feel like when Romo first came on, the reason why we liked Romo was because Romo was talking all football, right? He was talking about what, what is the, uh, the uh, quarterback seeing? And Romo was really good at predicting what was going to happen and tell us, you know, what coverages were there. Like it was really great, but now we're starting to see this Romo like grandstand start to, um, over, uh, over generalize, which, which sucks because like Romo sticking to X and O's is I, I feel like the, the average NFL audience is smarter than an NBA audience or like a baseball audience where I feel like if you're watching football and you, and you, and you're like really paying attention to commentating, we enjoy when Romo really gets into the X's and O's, but now I feel like it's dissipating. No, I totally agree with you on that. The best Tony Romo was when he was almost like breaking the fourth wall in terms right. of... Right, yeah, that first year. I remember it was legendary, even. Yeah, yeah, just the way he was able to like predict things and like really break things down because he's a very everyman guy. He always has been, and he did a great job of breaking football down for the everyman. But like you said, now he's just gone to this kind of like shock jock. You know, what's my my latest zinger I can throw on here? You know, what's the biggest hyperbole I can go? And it's just like he, he always tries to make a controversy out of everything. We've joked yeah. about this all the time where he's like, uh, I don't know if it's a cat's gym. And it's like, dude, he has two <laughs> feet down and like he's bear hugging the ball. Like, what are you talking about? Just like shut up for one minute. It's please. not even going to like to 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 the to like New York or like to a replay. It's no. like already the like second play and he's like, ah, I think they're going to call it back. It's like, no, he's wrong. He's wrong all the time. <laughs> So 
<laughs> you know, this is funny. I always thought that there's a certain kind of like monster truck rally, I don't know, sort of gravitas about Monday night football. And I feel like that's always been a thing, kind of bombastic and like a bit of a tongue in cheek joke in and of itself. And as such, like I almost feel like Tony Romo would be better suited on Monday night football as kind of like this weird, crazy attraction versus being a major networks a team yeah i think i think if if he is going to overgeneralize and start to like really conflate things then yes but i would love to see roma going back to the x's and o's you know um dan or orlovsky is starting to remind me of tony roma because now dan orlovsky is starting to be this x's and o's guys on twitter on 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 nfl live so i feel like if Tony sees that people enjoy those things, right? Even like even even Lewis Riddick was like that for a bit, but now Lewis Riddick is totally on the opposite end too. Like he's grandstanding as well. But I feel if if Tony sees the value in what Dan Orlovsky is doing and like really breaking down film on Twitter, and I, th- I, I what I see Dan Orlovsky trying to do is he is trying to get a, a commentating job. So he's like you know he's really building his resume on, on NFL Live. Mina Kimes as well, actually. I really enjoy. Mina Kimes stuff on NFL Live. I, I can definitely see her commentating pretty soon as well. Um, but if he sees the value in it and how the NFL audience now is a very educated audience, like it isn't just like, oh, I want to watch some ground pound football. Like, no, like we really enjoy when they go, oh my gosh, is he's audible? Like, he's going to do this. He's going to do this. He's going to run. This is going to be an RPO. Like, like that stuff's really exciting. Um, so hopefully he sees the value in it. But if not, then yeah, put him on, put on Monday Night Football and have fun. Well, so speaking of Monday Night Football, I feel that the network that's been affected the most by this entire shakeup is actually Fox and losing Aikman and Buck because I don't think they were my favorite. I can I can 1000 percent understand why people think they were the best commentary team. And like, I will not argue now, honestly. (laughs) But but here's the thing. It's like going back to my thing about Monday Night Football being this kind of like once a week sort of like spectacle thing. Dude, they're way too straight laced tie properly knotted to be Monday Night Football commentators. It's almost like they're too serious for that broadcast. So A, Monday Night Football feels totally disjointed to me. Like they don't know what their production on that used to be. I mean, what they want it to be. I mean, I remember back in the 90s, and you grew up with this too, with uh, not Sammy Davis Jr., what's his name? Uh, the crazy country guy doing the All My Rowdy Friends Are Here for Monday Night. Hank Williams Jr. Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Are you ready for some football? You know, they yeah. had a different one of those every week. That, to me, has always been Monday Night Football. Not just Hank Williams Jr., but like the this crazy awesome bonus game. This is so exciting, and, you know, it's a big party spectacle. And, dude, Aikman and Buck are not a big party spectacle. Aikman and Buck are straight-laced, white-collar, major network, Fox game of the week. Which is which is why I I may like them more now, and you know that I don't like Joe Buck at all. But I feel like now because things are going so much in the spectacle direction, even on Sundays, um, it's actually refreshing to see Aikman and Buck even today. Uh, wait, did they play? No, they didn't do today. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, they commented today. Yeah, I mean it's 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 just nice to have some like level-headed people. I mean, Joe Buck can also be pretty exciting. As- more so in baseball but like joe joe buck can call a game that has energy in it right where like al michaels just literally one of the greatest moments in nfl history he just be biffs right he's just like oh whatever where i feel like joe buck joe buck in his own way 
really shows his energy when he wants to. And it, it is it is pretty thrilling. But again, I think that's more so a commentary on what commentating is right now. Like that they I think they're the best right now is not a good bar. Well, and let's check in on the network they left behind with Fox. And you got, who is it, Burkhart and Olsen as their A-team mm, now? Yeah, ugh. I mean, yeah, in, I don't. I don't think Greg Olson's very good, <laughs> dude. In this entire musical chairs of commentators that have gone on this year, you can tell Fox was caught most by surprise because you can one hundred percent tell they they weren't thinking about a replacement for Aikman Buck for at least another ten to fifteen years, maybe. Yeah, the thought hadn't even crossed their mind. For all they know, they weren't even grooming anybody. They probably thought the Aikman-Buck replacement were like still an undergrad at this point for all they knew, which is why I think Burkhardt and Olsen seem just like so disjointed and out of place. And I said this to I said this to the group chat a few times. Those dudes really feel like if you're in the market that's getting the noon Carolina versus New York Jets game and you get that regional team, it's like... They just don't feel like Fox game of the week A team to me. Yeah, no, yeah, it's definitely changed, and and I think a, a sign of the times is also like the like Manning cast and these alternative casts. If things were in the golden era of commentating, we we wouldn't need these alternative casts to keep people interested and to keep them focused on the game, right? The fact that we need Peyton Manning to be interviewing ten different people that don't know anything about football during a, like a good game is you know, that that tells you about where commentating is and how it's, you know, I think to fix good commentating, you don't need to have other things. You just need to make the product good, make it as best as you can. And if that means we don't get as many people watching as I don't know. Well, I mean, the NFL, they watch a bunch anyway, so I don't even know why they're doing it. But I don't know as much as something else. As, at least you have a good product, right? And at least you put all your eggs in this basket instead of like, Ugh, people stop watching. Okay, uh, Peyton and Eli, go ahead and, and um, interview. Uh, go ahead and interview Chris Rock for 40 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it just, it takes away from football. Let's keep football the way it is. Let's talk about it intelligently, but exciting. And there we, and there we go. You know, I'd, I'd be interested. Maybe we can come back to this later on in the off season once the uh, the Super Bowl's done. But I would love to have a maybe get some friends on here. You know, get some of our friends of the podcast to kind of give grades to the commentary teams this year because I, I think there's a lot to be said, a lot of opinions to be heard, and I actually think there will probably be a lot of shakeups still in the coming one oh. to three years after this year. Oh, totally, absolutely. Speaking about shakeups, Reese, let's talk about this wild card weekend. Not that there was too many shakeups, but these games did not go the way that we thought they were going to go, right? I actually thought this wild card weekend was one of, but sorry, before the wild card happened, right? During the week, I thought this was going to be one of the most lopsided wild card weekends we've had in, in quite some time, right? We have. The uh, Geno Smith Seahawks against the Brock Purdy 49ers. But even though the 49ers are doing really well, we have a team in the Chargers that I th- I always have thought pretty good, right? You always want to bet on the quarterback. So I'm like, Justin Herbert, he's going to blow out Trevor Lawrence. Uh, then we had Skylar Thompson against Josh Allen. We had um, we had the 13 and four Kirk Cousin Vikings versus a Daniel Jones that we all make fun of. 
And then we had the Tyler Huntley versus the Bengals. We 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 had our boy Sam Kuyper Jr. give me crap. By the way, I'm just going to bring that up because he brought it up. He said, "I loved your I loved your podcast, except for um, Mondo's take on on Ravens Bengals rematch and saying that you know it it wasn't a close game this last week. I don't think we should read into what happened that previous week." Well, look what happened. Look what happened. All these games were close, Reese. But I want to know from you, what was the most shocking game or most surprising game of the wild card weekend? Oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to say, I, I want to say Jacksonville just because of how it happened. But if going into wild card weekend, you would have told me Jacksonville beats L.A. 31 30. I'd be like, you know what? I totally buy that. Fine. I believe it. Yeah. Had you told me Jacksonville goes down 27 zero on like four first half turnovers inside the 30 yard line and they come back on a rally and they win 31 30. I'd be like, no way. I can't believe that's stranger than fiction. Uh, I would say that or the fact that Miami with their third string quarterback was able to give Buffalo every possible thing they could handle and you know this this will kind of extend over to the Cincinnati and I'm sure we'll talk about more too is that I know Cincinnati and Buffalo both had to play division rivals I know division rivals and crazy stuff can happen all that stuff no that's totally true if you're playing the first string quarterbacks there is no chance in heck the Chiefs are gonna let the Chargers and Easton stick come in and and give us a one point game down to the wire in the playoffs with us at basically full strength. It's just not going to happen. You just saw it last week in a nothing to lose game against the Raiders at their place. And we played their second string quarterback and we took them out back to the shed. So I don't think Miami or Baltimore are particularly that good, especially with backup quarterbacks. So I would say those two teams really struggling and looking poor in their games were the biggest shocks of the week for me. Yeah, I I mean both of them were obvious obvious shocks. I mean both stand alone, right? If one was one week, one was the other week, they would both be you know some of the most shocking games that we've seen in the playoffs in recent years. Uh, but I'm gonna say Skylar Thompson holding it in with Josh Allen, right? Thirty four to thirty one. I think that was the most surprising thing of the week because, like I said, I didn't. I it was surprising that the Ravens held it close with the Bengals. But like I said, it happened the week before. I know a lot of it happened in garbage time, like Sam said. But still, the the score was close, right? The score was close, and and we've seen strokes of Tyler Huntley doing well, right? If if he is a carbon copy of Lamar Jackson, some of it should work some of the time. So anyway, that's why I didn't think it was that surprising. But there is no excuse for the Buffalo Bills. Zero excuse for them to let the Skylar Thompson Dolphins keep it and like you know very close game till the very end from quarter one to quarter four it was a very close game and there's zero excuse there were essentially no injuries of course we have Demar Hamlin and uh, I think um, we also had Kair Elam Um, I forget who he was um, who he was replacing so there was some issues in the secondary for the Bills but nothing that should have should have kept this game close and it's not like like Tyreek Hill or Waddle were blowing up the uh, blowing up the Bills defense. Like Skylar Thompson, McDaniel's, I mean Reese, even even Jeff Wilson Jr. Right? They they only had forty two yards on the ground, twenty three from Jeff Wilson having the most. 
Tyree Kill having under 70 yards, and then Jalen Waddle having 44 yards. Like, it's not, you know, this game didn't make any sense if you're looking in the scoreboard, but Skylar Thompson was was staying in there, not a good quarterback, kept yeeting the ball when he didn't have to yeet the ball. He had checkdowns. No, he, I mean, this, this roster is meant for checkdowns, right? Jeff Wilson, Waddle and Tyreek can all make plays. If you throw it to the flat, don't worry. They're going to find yardage, but still like, I don't understand why this game was so close and it shouldn't have been. And if I'm a bills fan, I'm very concerned, right? Because also conversely, the bills offense was pretty good. Josh Allen, 352 yards with three touchdowns. Uh, Stefan Diggs had 114 yards. Gabe Davis had 113 yards, right? So they're airing off the field. But what have I said in the past, Reese, is that when when Josh Allen decides that he has to win the game, then he's going to make some horrible mistakes, not just mistakes, but horrible mistakes. Reese, can you guess interceptions and fumbles combined? How many Josh Allen has had this season? This season, uh, interceptions fumbles combined. I'm going to guess he's had at least 20. Over 30 interceptions and fumbles during the year. I mean, this is a big concern and something that I've been talking about since Green Bay played them in the middle of the year and everyone was like, oh, whatever. No, like, like we're seeing Josh Allen make a lot of mistakes and I don't know what defenses are particularly doing to kind of trip him up. Maybe they're trying the, the like old cover two defense that they did on Patrick Mahomes. But something's happened out there that's really rattling Josh Allen. I mean, I, I know that he doesn't have the best offensive line, but it's not like it's it's not like he's doing this under pressure. I feel like he has time and he's still making some awful some awful plays. So as a Chiefs fan, I'm I'm actually as a Chiefs fan, Reese, would you rather play the Bengals or the Bills right now? Bills one thousand times over. Yeah, and isn't that weird to say? Like, of course the Bengals have our number, and that's why it would be an easy thing to say. But Bills on paper are really freaking good and it still beat us during the year. But right now I'm like, gosh, I really hope the Bills win. How crazy is that for me to say, Reese? Well, so about Josh Allen that I mean, I am floored the number is 30. I know he's been a turnover machine this year, and I think he I think it's safe to say Josh Allen has regressed some this year. And I don't think it's coincidence that you see Josh Allen take a noticeable step back in production this year and you see Daniel Jones take a large leap forward in production this year by his standards because the common denominator in that is Brian Dabble's not there to hold his hand anymore. Brian Dabble's in New York helping out Daniel Jones. So the reason why we're seeing Josh Allen have more questionable decisions, to say the least, is that situation. Like you said, I, I wouldn't say this Bills team looked it, – it wasn't like, who is this team I'm watching? This isn't the same Bills team I've watched all year. No, dude, this was a pretty standard Bills yeah, game. No, it's still good, right? still came down to the wire, and it still took a third-string quarterback and some of the most absolutely atrocious pre-snap clock management oh I gosh. can remember in my life occurring for them to sneak out with this win. Did you see uh, McDaniels ripping his vape? Dude, yeah, ripping that fat jewel. Yeah, man, he's going to squat up afterwards. You know, I would like to initiate a cold snack take back right now. Let's do it. So this take back goes to Eric Bieniemy Because for all we've talked on this podcast about, you know, questioning how much does he do? You know, how big of a player is he? Is he a big, you know, impact guy? Is he calling plays, all that stuff? One thing about Eric Bieniemy is that he is a consummate professional. He is 
very punctual at the interview booth when he's giving press conferences. Yeah. And even on the sidelines, he might get mixed it up with Pat, but you never see him do anything embarrassing. He is a well-put-together professional human being. I think some of these dudes, like Staley, like Hackett, and I think you got to throw McDaniel in there. Any of these guys from these, like, you know, young savant McVeigh tree that we've talked about, it's like, dude, you can't say those same things about them that you say about Eric Bieniemy, And I think that speaks volumes in that Bieniemy is ready for a head coaching position somewhere. And these guys, I think McDaniel in particular, fantastic football mind. I still think he needs another 20 minutes at 425 in the oven before he's ready to be a head coach. Yeah, I mean, especially this year. I mean, for for all the things that were happening with Tua, the way he was handling some of those interviews, there are a few quotes that like I, I bet he wish he, he has back, especially in the beginning when they were talking about Tua. Um, he, I forgot what he was saying, but it was really like, Hey, this isn't my fault. You know, I, I, you know, I'm hands off on this situation where a good coach would say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility. What's going on. I mean, look at, look at Andy Reed, anything that happens. And if it's clearly Spag's fault, it's clearly Dave, Dave tubes fault. It's, it's Harrison Butker's fault. He's always taking responsibility for anything that happens on the chiefs. And that's that's signs of a, a consummate professional, right? And where I feel like Mike McDaniel's, especially in the beginning of the year, was kind of like, hey, you know, I'm new to this. Like, I'm I'm just kind of I'm starting to figure it out. Like, no, you you have to have guts to be a head coach in the NFL, especially a really good team that you know is going to make the playoffs. Sure, he's really good with the playbook, but like you like you said, there's a lot of you know on the camera stuff that you really have to you got to watch out. I mean, Sean Sean McDermott, another consummate consummate professional like handling mm-hmm. the the damar hamlin situation perfectly you know and um but mike mcdaniels man yeah definitely needs some more cooking cliff kingsbury another guy we're like he he's good on camera but boy is he is he a bad leader like i'm sorry oh. like i'm sure he's a nice guy but like he is not a good leader in the locker room if you if you watch even one episode of hard knocks and you know i know we're gonna sound like a self-depreciating millennial here but like i think that's i think that's part of the thing we're seeing in our generation in a lot of different places right now is like we are starting to inherit the workforce and like the actual professional roles is that a lot of the early adopters so to say who are getting some of these big opportunities are going to be like man i can do this better than the last generation because i'm gonna be the cool boss you know it's like no like there is a level of professionalism in everything that has to be done like back when I was working at Boulevard and doing interviews with people, it's like, you know, I mean, an interview we do on Found City Sports Media or talking to a Found City Sports Media is an entirely different sort of tone than I'm going to be giving when I'm talking to KCTV5. Totally. You know, it's like I, there's there's Reese doing his personal stuff and being Reese. And there's Reese when he's professional on camera and in a position where I have to represent an organization. And yeah. I don't th- I think some of these guys don't have that just yet. That's a good, that's a good analysis. And I don't, I don't want to get in trouble either to like say the older generation is better at, you know, leading people than the new generation. No, they got their faults too. Yeah, they definitely have their faults, but there is something to be said for, you know, that type of discipline, at least not, Mm -hmm. not verbal abuse. I'm not saying verbal or physical abuse, but in the sense of values, morals, and discipline, I think. There's a lot to be said for all three of those. If you look at Andy Reid and and you know anything about Andy Reid, he has a lot of those. Uh, you look at Greg Popovich, Greg Popovich coming from, uh, I think he went to West Point. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, same with same with did Belichick did Belichick also army? Uh, I I actually don't know. No, I don't think so. There there's another great coach. And again, I'm not saying like I'm not I'm not having a political opinion here. I'm just saying like a lot of these guys come from incredibly disciplined backgrounds. And despite, you know, again, I'm not, um, I'm not putting verbal abuse or anything in this, but I'm just saying just like orderly, let's get the job done. This is our mission. This is what we got to do. There's a lot to be said for that, especially in a game like football, you know, like, like that's, that's why disciplined teams win. Right. And that's why undisciplined teams have turnovers, right. And lose it in big situations. I think the bills are a disciplined team. I'm I'm going back to the bills. The Bills are a disciplined team. It's just, it's just uh, Josh Allen just playing hero ball for no reason, man. No reason. Yeah, no, it's that's that's what's funny is you know Josh Allen still has an incredible upside. You know he's got a howitzer for an arm. He's yeah. got he's got some speedy legs on him. But if he's gonna keep making these boneheaded turnovers, like he had what two interceptions this game, I think at least three fumbles, even if he didn't lose all of them. So that's five turnover worthy plays that didn't need to be there. Dude, you know who you're playing next round? The Bengals. You know who? Oh, you yeah. know who they're, literally they're gonna, win? Oh, they're going to eat that. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you saw it against Baltimore. It's like they don't win by star power, although they are loaded with talent. They win on opportunistic football and doing just enough to get by. So if you're going to hand them five opportunities to be just enough to get by, oh, dude, that tiger is going to eat you up like Siegfried and Roy, man. Wow. Speaking of that, Reese, why don't we just get straight into these predictions and starting with Cincinnati and Buffalo. We both like Cincinnati, but when they play each so sorry, we both like them um, in different ways, right? Because Cincinnati playing the Bills is going to be different than Cincinnati playing the Chiefs. And the same goes for the Bills. The way the Bills are going to play Cincinnati is, is different than they're going to play us. So Cincinnati, to me, is the better team against us but does that mean that they're better than the bills i don't think so i don't know reese what do you think what is the prediction of this game so the bills are better or i should say the bills have less gaps on their team than we do you know they did not play well against miami josh allen's making some bonehead turnovers this year but i mean top to bottom they have a more full roster they have less joshua williams that you have to watch out for like complete parts of their team that are falling apart and then their so, their josh williams like uh elam is pretty good oh yeah he's a first round you're comparing your first round stud to like a fourth round fayetteville state guy you know so right but if you right but like that is their that's their backup which is it, which is great. He's excellent. <laughs> exactly. So if the Bills go out there and impose their will on Cincinnati, like I really think they should win this game. I think the Bills should. But, ugh, man, I think what's so frustrating about Cincinnati, and I got to point this out. I have to point this out. They keep winning, which is true. Joe Burrow is yet to have a good playoff game in the postseason he's yet to have a bad playoff game in the postseason but if we can just go through his numbers Raiders last year 244 yards two touchdowns that's fine he didn't win him that game against the Titans 348 yards no touchdowns one interception he didn't win him that game with 348 yards good lord dude it was 1916 the defense won him that game and Ryan Tannehill throwing three interceptions one of that game some Alex Smith numbers 
AFC title game against us, 250 yards, two touchdowns, one oh. interception, and that's with overtime in the oh stats as well. Gosh. Not good. Oh. Super Bowl last year, 263 yards, one touchdown that should have been called back because it was that play that uh, Chase or whoever like, ripped down mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey. I mean, it's this, I'm sure it's the same numbers if I look at this. Well, you know, I'll, I'll put it up right here. This last week against Baltimore, 209 yards, one touchdown. Wow. Dude, it's okay. So it's disingenuous to call him a game manager because he's too good to be a game manager. But in all of these games, it's just like, just don't play bad. And just not playing bad does not make you good. Or does right. it? And also, what you know, you and I tease him for being a game manager, but we've always said that he is game manager 2.0, which I still think is, is fair. It's yeah. fair. Like, it, Joe Burrow is not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, but he's also not Kirk Cousins, right? He's not Kirk Cousins. He's not Jimmy Garoppolo. Like he is very good. He's again, he is. I'm saying he's 2.0 because he's figured it out. He's he is he has managed to a T, but it also I will say it will neglect his being able to make a play. His guts. I mean, he's one of the gutsiest quarterbacks that we've ever seen. He can he can take a shot in the pocket and still make a play. So I, I get all those things, which is why we say, okay, he's a 2.0 because, because he's not out there throwing, you know, in the opposite direction with his left, you know, left leg thrown to the right, like pad. He's, you know, he's using his legs, which is nice, but not as much as Josh Allen, not as much as Patrick Mahomes, not as much as Lamar Jackson. And he uses it when he needs to, I guess. Um, he's not very fast, which we've talked about before. So uh, anyway, let me go back to the, to the topic at hand. The Bills should beat the Bengals, even though the the Bills had this bad game. Like Josh Allen should hopefully, in theory, clean up some of those mistakes, right? Maybe he has one interception, but you shouldn't have two interceptions, and hopefully he holds onto the ball. Um, but who who knows, man? Who knows? Because again, if Josh Allen has to play, has to play hero ball, the Bengals are very good at at, at these gimmicky defenses and just like dropping back a bunch of people, and that is what that's Josh Allen's Achilles heel is. They know that that Josh Allen's not going to pass it off to Singletary, not to cook, right? He's he's either going to use his legs or he's going to make a play. So if they have one QB spy and kind of checking out what Josh Allen's going to do, they can drop back into coverage and say, fine, pass it to Gabe Davis. We're ready for it. Pass it to Stephon Diggs. We're ready for it, right? So yeah. I think it's going to be a very close game. I hope I hope it's a great game. I hope it, you know, I hope it's like a... A thirty to thirty-one Bills game. I think I, th- I think that's what it's going to come down to. But I don't know because of this wild card weekend. It could there any possibility? Anything is possible, as Kevin Garnett said. Yeah, I really don't know what to predict. What's so weird is that for the very abridged Monday Night Football game we saw with them a couple weeks back, uh, I did think that for the drive and the half we got to see they were carving the Bills up pretty well. So I'm going to be interested to see if that carries over, but we have an entirely different dynamic. The game's going to be in Buffalo. They're going to be playing for DeMar Hamlin. You know, they're going to be playing for the AFC title game, not just a one seed. So I, I think all bets are off. I, I I would like to say the Bills are going to win this one, but my gut says the Bengals are going to have something stupid happen. And uh, Joe Burrow is going to throw for another, like, 268 yards. Eh, two touchdowns, one interception, and people are going to talk about how it's like one of the greatest games they've ever witnessed in their life from a quarterback, which is kind of his MO. 
<laughs> it was like whatever look it's it's going to be a great divisional round in the afc playoffs but it's also going to be a great beer review that's right if you're just listening we're going to take a break from talking sports and we're going to crack open a beer uh, reese is going to review a beer for us and we'll talk about the categories going into the beer review but why don't you take a moment grab a beer with us and we'll see you in a bit That's right. It's your favorite segment. It is the beer review. Normally, we would start the beer review with a a segment called This Week in Craft Beer, where we talk about the landscape of the craft beer world. It's really interesting. It's it's very it's ever changing in the craft beer world. So recently, I love to talk about it. But because we have this action packed episode talking about the playoffs, we're going to skip that. And Reese is going to go straight into his own beer review. So, Reese, tell us, what are you going to review for us today? Man, there must be something in this year about the state of Wisconsin, because two weeks ago, I made amends with our good friends at New Glarus. Last week, I took a blast from the past to the pride of Chippewa Falls and reviewed a line in Kugel's Bach. And this week, coming out of Capital Brewery in Madison, Wisconsin, I have Dunkel Lager. Which I'm very excited. Where, where are you getting all these beers, man? These definitely aren't national distro. So Wisconsin sister brought them back over Christmas. Oh, nice. And nice. I've really been enjoying them. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm super excited about this one because I think I get the idea Capital Brewery is kind of like the KC Beer Co. or like Prost adjacent in Wisconsin because mm-hmm. she gave me a German Pills. I have a Dunkel Lager. And in my cabinet still, I have a Doppelbach. So these are all Ooh. very like Reinheitsgebot style beers. I'm very excited to try this bad boy. So without further ado, let's get popping. Nice. So as he pours that beer into a glass, we review these beers with different categories, starting with appearance. Then we have aroma. Then we have flavor. We have mouthfeel, aftertaste. And then our final category, which is our ever-changing one, the Stonks Drinkability Quotient. That's right. How awesome. How badass is this beer? What what makes this beer so special? And we rate all these categories from 0 to 10. So Reese, he has poured it into a lovely tulip. Tell us the appearance on this beer. That's a nice clean looking dunkel right there. Really don't see much carbonation going on there, but it's a deep uh, ruby mahogany-ish color that I can make out that there's something behind there like a computer screen, but I can't make out what's on the computer screen. A very beautiful, what looks like kind of an off-white color, pretty uniform, foamy head. As they say, Dunkel is the gentleman's pilsner. So I'm going to give this, uh, it's attractive. We're going to give it an 8.4 on appearance. All right, an 8.4 on appearance. Yeah, it looks pretty good here. It actually looks a lot darker than I thought it was going to look, almost black on my end. Yeah, I'm looking in the screen that you're seeing. It does look a lot darker on cam than it does in my hand. Uh, Take that and make it like three and a half shades lighter and one shade redder. Come on, come on, Google Meets. Fix your your color categories. It's like the C on your Colorado flag, but more dark brown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's actually a really good descriptor. There you go. Okay, sweet. So we got an eight point four in appearance. Now we have aroma. Reese, give it a nice sniff and tell us what what flavors you're getting on the nose. Man, you know when I cracked this open and poured it into the glass, I thought I got 
like some pretty potent smells on it right away. Which a lot of these lagers, you know, especially Dunkles, aren't necessarily that fragrant. I'm getting some fruity esters on here. I'm going to say I'm getting some orange notes. Oh. Getting some caramel. Not what I would think from a Dunkle. Wow. No, right? Uh, I'm getting some caramel in there, definitely. Toasted sugar, a little bit of breadiness. Um, I know it's kind of off the beaten track for a Dunkel, but it does smell nice. So I'll give it an 8.3 on aroma. All right. An 8.3, not bad. Now we have our favorite category. We have flavor. Give that drink a sip and let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit sweeter than most Dunkles I've had. Yeah. Pretty crisp. I'm getting a lot of that toasted sugar in there. I think a little bit of hot bitterness, which I know you don't get a whole bunch in Dunkel lagers. Uh, but... Yeah, it's it's interesting. It almost tastes kind of like a brown ale to me, uh, but a little more bitter, but kind of that same palette of flavors on there. I'm going to give it one more sip. Yeah, it's hard for me to kind of dissect specifically what I'm tasting. It's drinkable. It's not knocking me off my feet. I'm going to give it a 7-7 seven, seven on flavor. Okay, that's not bad. I mean, seven seven's pretty good. Cool. So you just did flavor. Now let's do mouthfeel, Reese. What? Do, how does that dunkle feel? A little heavier because it's a dunkle, or we got some nuance in that weight? You know, for not being able to see any carbonation in the glass, it's a pretty sparkly mouthfeel to it. I would say it has the mouthfeel consistency of water. Uh, pretty easy to drink. It goes down smooth. A little bit tingling in the back of the tongue. Yeah, I'll give it a 7-7 seven, seven on mouthfeel again. Okay. All right. Straight sevens across the board. Jackpot bingo. Then we also have aftertaste. Reese, do you still kind of get that orange, that caramel on the on the aftertaste or a little bit different? I would say I get more of the hot bitterness in the aftertaste of it, which I think is pretty par for the course. Don't get as much bready maltiness as I would have thought I'd get. But it doesn't change too much. It's definitely like a two-pronged beer flavor. You got the sweet caramely stuff in the front and kind of the hoppiness in the back. Which, you know, like I said, flavor up front, hops out back. So that's nice. It doesn't change on you. It doesn't skunk. No crazy funky lager yeast taste going on in there. So aftertaste, uh, stick to 7-7 seven, seven again. All right, straight seven across the board. Then we have our final category, Reese. That is the Stong's Drinkability Quotient. How does this beer make you feel? What's unique about this beer? What's going on with it? So, this was not as good as the German Pilsner I had, which is totally fine. Dunkles are difficult there. to do well over here, I feel like, which is why I think Casey Beer Co.'s Dunkel is so coveted. I mean, yeah. with all respect, to, all respect here. I mean, KC Beer Co's Dunkel just like destroys this one. Like Mike Tyson, forty-five second first round knockout, not even close. But I gotta hand it to Capital Brewing in Wisconsin. I'm happy that there are more breweries doing these authentic German style lagers because I think, as we said, the world needs more of these. So 
After that Pilsner, after a great attempt at a very solid Dunkle, I'm looking forward to having that Doppelbach in my closet. And I want to visit this place one day. I'm officially a huge fan of Capital Brewery and what they're trying to do. I think this is a nice clean label. I don't think they're too pretentious. I think they're making good stuff. Uh, also, I got to give them an extra bonus point of strong drinkability because I don't know where Middleton, Wisconsin is. I imagine... I'd be curious as to why they call this Capital Brewing if it's in Middleton, Wisconsin. I'm seeing if it's kind of like maybe the old capital adjacent for Wisconsin. Oh, uh, in Dane County, Wisconsin, suburb. Oh, it's the suburb of Madison. Okay, so that makes sense. Uh, so this would be like calling it Urbandale Brewing or something like that. Whatever. So, <laughs> Stonks Drinkability Quotient, Capital Brewing Company, making great beers, German style lagers, love you to death, big fans. I'm going to give it an 8 Two on Stonks Drinkability Quotient. Okay, 8.2. Pretty good. Excellent. So a pretty good beer review about a Dunkel. But yeah, you're right. I think I think a clean Dunkel really goes a long way. And I think that's why Pilsners are end up being, you know, taste better from a brewery because it's really easy. Well, it's easier to have a clean Pilsner than a clean Dunkel. Um, but yeah, pretty good beer review. I you know, if you go out to Wisconsin, hit me up, dude. I'll go out there with you. We can do a uh uh found city sports media beer on the ground hit a couple of the wisconsin beers have a good time go up to lambo with uh, with david speaking about david um as you like right before you did your beer review i was looking to see how many episodes we've done and it uh, spotify doesn't tell us but one of our episodes got flagged because uh it says so we did a week eight episode uh two years ago uh, with David and the way that you frame the summary, it says this episode has been scanned for viruses after an uninspiring victory of the New York Giants. Um, and on top of it, it says, learn, learn about COVID-19. Learn more here. Wait, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, because 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 you started the summary with this episode has been scanned for viruses. Is that is that for real? Why did I do yeah, that? Dude. This episode has been scanned. Well, I'm going. I'm going to the sauce ready. I'm going to Podbean. What do they got to say here? I mean, it, it it has to be because of like I'm 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 sure you did it because of like Aaron Rodgers. That was that was that was probably the like interview where Aaron Rodgers was like. Oh, I've I've been I've been whatever he said. Oh my gosh, you're totally right. I always do one of those like cutesy one-liners <laughs> under the title, and I said this episode has been scanned for viruses. <laughs> wow, good job, Week Eight Reese last year. That's actually not a bad one, but that's yeah, weird. No, that's actually pretty funny. But anyway, <laughs> I just thought it was funny that it says learn more about COVID nineteen. Learn more here, which is what some other podcasts will do for other reasons. But it was just because Reese had had put that one-liner. Um, Anyway, nothing to do with the beer review. I just thought that was funny because we're talking about David in Wisconsin. Uh, David, let's hang out in Wisconsin. Let's grab some beers. Everyone else, come grab some beers with us too. We're going to end this podcast out with a uh, Chiefs-Jags preview and maybe even talk about some Cowboys bucks. Stay with us. a great beer review from capital brewing in wisconsin what city is it from middleton wisconsin which is a suburb middleton. of madison got it got it, which is why they're called the capital mm-hmm. um so that was awesome again for those of you just following the podcast for the first time we always review 
Revere. Gosh, uh, we all we. Oh my goodness. Let's let's keep all this in, man. I'm I'm having a stroke on the podcast. <laughs> uh, nope, just kidding. I I I have a three month old child right now, and it's it's definitely it's definitely showing. Um, but anyway, we always review a beer on this podcast. It's a really fun way to break up um, the, our sports talk. And it's also just a fun time to crack open a beer with Reese. Reese used to work at Boulevard. I used to work at Weldworks and Greeley. Um, really, really fun times. All right. So, Reese, let's end the podcast now. Actually, before we end it, the Cowboys beat the Bucks 31 to 14. Oh. Before we talk about the game, is this Tom Brady's last game? Man. It's like, I feel like it has to, because I know we've said this in the past multiple times. It was like, oh, Brady's getting old. Brady's getting old. No, this year, Brady is looking Brady's old. old. Uh, I mean, he doesn't have the confidence in the pocket he used to. His arm strength, what's left of it is going kaput. Uh, but it's like, Brady w- can't or won't let himself go out like this, right? It's like, th- there's no way he's going to go out to getting spanked at home. 31 to 7. They got a garbage time touchdown. 31 to 7, 31 14 to the Cowboys of all teams. It's just like, I feel like he's going to have one more team hop in him somewhere. I just don't know where. Well, yeah, this year is atypical to Tom Brady seasons that we've seen because even last year, even though Tom Brady was still old, Tom Brady almost beat the the LA Rams to go in, right? It was just, it was one play, I think, at the very end of the game where, um, where Stafford just yeets it to Cooper cup. And then he wins the game against the bucks. And that's why Tom Brady came back because he knew that he had a chance to win this league and to still like be successful where today it just, it looked embarrassing. That was one of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen in the playoffs. Reese, I watched up until the beginning of the fourth quarter. So we can start this podcast, but I mean, they weren't getting anything. And of course this Cowboys defense is very good, but if you are Tom Brady and you're the greatest quarterback to ever live, you still have Chris Godwin, you still have Mike Evans, mm-hmm. um, you still have Leonard Fournette, you have playoff Lenny, as they say. <laughs> um, you still have weapons on this team. Like you, you shouldn't be under throwing balls every single throw. And it wasn't even that he was under throwing balls that were like thirty yards down the field. I mean, we're talking five or six yards down down the field. He was under under throwing. So it was it was very embarrassing to see as a football fan because you and I are definitely not Tom Brady fans, but you and I respect the game enough to not be like haha tom brady like like you're trash man you're not like of course we respect him he's he's good and and he pisses up he pisses us off but it's really embarrassing to see as an nfl fan just for him to still be out there although we are hearing rumors that you know he could he could go to vegas right you can see josh mcdaniels he has he has some weapons out there if he goes but but if he couldn't get it done well not even it's not that they didn't win reese it's just that they looked awful they looked horrid out there right and and this is the play this is playoffs like tom brady pit will pick you apart like tom brady is very intelligent it's not like he's losing any of his intelligence he knows how to expose this defense and he couldn't do any of it today so i so tom brady for your sake because you listen to this podcast because because we are in the top 30 percent of spotify just give it up man give it up spend some time with your kids or or if you still want to like be in the game be a be a consultant or something i don't know but this was bad dude in the words of guile from street fighter 2 go home and be a family man tom i just <laughs> like you said he should have gone out last year when he led that furious comeback against the rams and came up short because of a play that was completely out of his control 
there's no shit. You see a lot of Hollywood films end with the protagonist being like coming up just short. I mean, heck, that's the premise for Rocky one. Rocky doesn't right. win at the end of Rocky one, but he came up just short and people felt like Rocky one. Brady could have gone out last year on that same note where it's like Brady still got it. This one just didn't break for him. And that would have been a much better way to go out than the way he came back this year, finishing 500 in what was arguably the worst division in all of football, which leads me to that point of, I don't know where he jumps to that he's in a better situation. Maybe the Niners, before they ran into the Brock Purdy, where it's like, do you want to move off Brock Purdy for this geriatric Tom Brady when you have a win-now roster? I don't know if you do. I don't think you come to the Raiders, whose roster isn't even as good as the Bucks roster. Where does he go? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, if he goes to Vegas, it'll be a nice like Frank Sinatra last, you know, or, or like Kobe Bryant, you know, final tour. But also, Josh McDaniel doesn't have the the uh, the luxury to do like a Tom Brady final tour. Like the clock's ticking for for Josh McDaniel now. I don't know, man. I I don't see any situation that's going to work, especially like you said, with Brock Purdy doing well with the 49ers in the case that Brock Purdy makes to the Super Bowl, which is still, you know, on the table. I don't see how you get rid of him, especially like, you know, people were saying the same thing about Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, well, you know, Jimmy's not great. They they stuck with Jimmy until injuries, you know, until Jimmy said I can't play. Um, And I think it's going to be the same for Brock. So I don't know what happens to Tom, but hey, obviously, you know, the greatest ever do it right now. And we'll see what happens. Actually, this, um, the situation that's happening now with Tom Brady, I hope Aaron Rodgers is watching. And, and Aaron Rodgers says, you know, this could be a good time for me to hang it up as well. Because I, because at least he's leaving and saying, I still, you know, I'm going out on my terms, right? I'm not going out because they're forcing me out. I'm going out because, like, I can definitely still play, but I'm I'm regressing. I think you're absolutely right. And Green Bay, even though they made a push at the end of the year, it's like that's not a win-now roster right now for Green Bay. They still have a lot of questions going into the next year, one of which being head coach Matt LaFleur you know, saying, well, hey, this is the first year that Aaron Rodgers played poorly and the team played poorly, you know, versus your buddy out in California, Shanahan, had a quarterback carousel all year long, and he made Brock Purdy look like an MVP candidate. So, yeah, you know jury's not out yet on Matt LaFleur. So yeah, Rogers, I think now's your time to ride off into the sunset, my friend. Bada bing. We'll see what happens there. Reese, let's end the podcast with the chiefs are a nine point favorite over the Jags. Uh, this Saturday, by the way, Trevor Lawrence is undefeated on Saturday in high school, college, and now in the NFL. Um, so we are, so we are seeing the undefeated Trevor Lawrence on a Saturday. Uh, but like I said, the Chiefs are nine point favorites. What are uh, what are maybe not the X factors? What are the most important things that we got to be watching as Kansas City fans during this game? I would say to not take your foot off the gas at any given point. I don't think you need to play hyper aggressive and opportunistic and big play football to beat the Jaguars. But I do think we have to play clean, consistent football to beat the Jaguars. As we saw in the Chargers game, Chargers let up for an entire half. Jacksonville walked all over him. Now, I don't think we're prone to having meltdowns of that consistency, but we have seen this team kind of disappear for quarters at a time, which has cost us some games this year and in the past during the Patrick Mahomes tenure. So I would say that's my biggest X factor against Jacksonville. Can you strike consistently? Can you play clean football? Will the special teams be there? 
And will the offense keep firing through four quarters? So do you do you see the Jags? If the Jags win, is there any way it's because the Jags played good football or is it 100% because the Chiefs blew it? No, I would say it's, oof, yeah, I would say at the very, very least, it's 75% the Chiefs blew it and maybe like 25%. This Jacksonville squad has good pieces, but I mean, this is not a good Jacksonville team. They've been in win now mode for the last like six weeks. I don't know if they've lost since we beat them after Thanksgiving, to be honest. But I mean, we handled them pretty cleanly playing a very vanilla game in thanks uh, on Black Friday weekend. And that was a game that saw them sneak an opening onside kick on us. It saw, I believe, a missed PAT and a Kadarius Tony fumble deep in our own territory and Isaiah Pacheco fumble deep in our own territory. And, you know, that was also a game, too, where Juju Smith-Schuster got taken out in the first half because Cisco was headhunting. Like I talked about last week, that was the point in the season when, like, all of our receivers were injured and we still beat them very comfortably. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, well, to answer your question, they did lose to the Lions two weeks after us, 40-14. to 14, They got blown out, oh. but after that, they beat everybody in their way. The Ravens, the Cowboys, Titans, Jets, Texans, and Titans twice. But so I mean they beat they beat the Cowboys 40 to 34. So we've seen, you know, I, I think what's gonna happen is we'll probably get ahead similarly to what happened with the Chargers and the Jags. And then I think Doug Peterson's just gonna let Trevor Lawrence throw it, you know, a hundred percent of the time. And look, Doug knows Andy very well. You know, he knows he knows what Andy likes, he knows what, you know what packages there's going to be for Andy and for Spags, honestly. So I think it may be closer in the third quarter, possibly the beginning of the fourth, but I think we win, we win easy, pretty, pretty easily. Right. Uh, For multiple reasons. One, uh, Andy knows Doug Peterson. Andy knows this offense. He knows what's going to happen. I think he's really going to help prepare this defense Spags, particularly as well, really help these guys, you know, not cut corners, you know, really do the hard work. And, and like I said, we had, we had that week off, but they had time to rest and we needed those guys to rest. So I think, I I think our defense is going to be prepared because we saw that in the last game of the playoff or sorry, the last game of the season, we've, we're seeing this team peak and it's not because we're playing bad teams, but we're actually seeing pretty good technical football from the Kansas City Chiefs, right? We're seeing them play really great in man coverage we're seeing help from the safeties right we're seeing justin reed juan thornhill playing better uh, we're seeing them tackle finally right like all these things if they can keep that up which i think they will keep up they shouldn't be close um but i foresee maybe a third quarter air raid from trevor lawrence that could get scary um other than that i think we should win how about uh, how about 30 to 21 that's Jeez. actually a pretty good score. I like 30 to 21. Because yeah, because 30 30 to 21 allows for like a couple Trevor Lawrence touchdowns and maybe a, a Travis Etienne, you know, punch in. I can see it being like 7 to 7 after one quarter and then 21-7 at half and then we just kick three field goals for the rest of the game and they get another touchdown or a couple touchdowns on the board in like the third quarter and the fourth quarter or something like that. I mean, it seems very on par for us to get outscored 14 to nine in the second half and still win comfortably. Uh, Yeah, I I think it'll be interesting. I still don't think Trevor Lawrence is that guy just yet. 
I mean, it, it takes a lot of chutzpah to win that game against the Chargers. You don't just come down 27-0. But I made this point against the Chargers, which was a similar point I made when we played the Texans in the playoffs back in 2020, was that it wasn't like the Chargers were just imposing their will on Jacksonville and drubbing them. Jacksonville just kept shooting themselves in the freaking foot inside the 30-yard line on like their own side of the field. So yeah, Chargers were scoring, but it's just like, dude, you could not set them up better. And it was the same way against the Texans for us, which is why I was like, you know what? I'm like, if the Chiefs can just stop hemorrhaging and get it together, I'm like, we could still come back and make this a game, which we did. So, yeah, I Peterson, great coach. He won a Super Bowl against Tom Brady with a backup quarterback, lest we forget. But I, I this is an instance where we have a better offense than they do. We have a better defense than they do, arguably. Special teams, they made a better special teams than we have right now, but it's just like, guys, just just don't look ahead to next week to Cincy or Buffalo and just focus on the focus on the large cat you have in front of you this week. Yeah, I also don't want to take away from Trevor Lawrence and uh, sorry, Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson's impressive comeback from the Chargers, but we also have to realize that Brandon Staley called an awful second half. Oh like, yeah, again, like they played well, but. I don't think people realize just how horrid that second half was. And and that wasn't necessarily because the charges are bad. It was just, it was, it was called just very poorly. You know, we, we, we've, we've talked about, you know, uh, uh, those, those interceptions, but then also, you know, just a weird playbook that uh, Staley. And then of course we've talked about his analytics and going for it when he shouldn't or not going for it when he should go for it. I mean, just a lot of things happen in that game that, that you know of course we respect jacksonville but definitely um not putting a lot of stock into that 27 point comeback no i I totally agree it's it was a great comeback i think jacksonville had to scrape you know scrap together to make that happen and chargers also had to completely melt down to make that happen both things hit perfect storm that's how you get a pressure front leading to a tornado of a game all right well there you go stay with us ladies and gentlemen i think next week we're going to try to do some uh do do a video instant reaction or a reaction to uh to jacksonville chiefs so stay tuned follow us we're probably going to be on youtube possibly on facebook live so you can follow us on there as well um but man buckle up we are in for a great playoff game i know we didn't talk about a lot of x's and o's on the chiefs in this podcast but again we got a ton of a coverage on the Chiefs the entire season. So please go back if you want to know any nitty gritty things about the Kansas City Chiefs. But boy, are we fired up. We can't wait to be out there. Let's go, Chiefs. We'll see you next time. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support. So consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes, and as always... I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.